John charges forward on foot as this massive cavalry charge is coming towards him and he draws his sword. He has this sort of look. He's kind of thinking, yeah, just like Dad, you know, I've chosen honour over pragmatism like my family always do. <laughs> That's what's going to fuck me up. You can't protect me from him. Nobody can protect anybody from anybody. And I, I thought you might as well write that on the front of the collected DVD box set of Game of Thrones because that is the theme of the entire series. I suspect Daenerys is quite refreshed to be dealing with somebody who doesn't just turn up and go, I am Fighty McKingshlong. Hello and welcome to Shark Liver Oil. Grab your spears and your shields, because it's time for the Battle of the Bar Stewards. I'm Matt. <laughs> I'm Dave. Hello. Have we started censoring our bad language? Are we using <laughs> euphemisms for all the swear words we would usually use? Because I don't think that's going to work out for me, to be honest. It's a pub fight. Glasgow rules. Yeah. I have had it, Matt, <laughs> with these monkey-fighting Boltons in this Monday to Friday Winterfell. <laughs> Yeah, so this is uh, our discussion of uh, Series 6, Episode 9, um, from a perspective of two people who've read all the books, so um, if you're worried about book spoilers, this is your warning here, we are going to talk about what's happened in the series of A Song of Ice and Fire books so far, and how it affects us, the TV series and vice versa. Uh, and yeah, this is, the, this is the Battle of the Bastards, or um, the one you've all been waiting for. Um, it's probably another fair way of putting it. Yeah, that is fair, isn't it? I was amazed at the extent to which this really was what everybody has been waiting for as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we'll, we'll get to it, but I mean, I'm used to getting one major plot event per two or three episodes, yeah. you know, and it, with this one, it was just like, it was it was like they decided to put everything you've been waiting for for six years into a single hour of TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've also got um, feedback today and... Um, We've got <laughs> some from people who actually listen to the podcast, some from people who probably don't, but um, are making <laughs> us some offers we can't refuse. Uh, oh, we, we're also going to do, um, in the spoiler section, like, we'll, we'll do a spoiler section, so uh, the bunker full of spoilers, we'll discuss a couple of uh, book theories um, that, again, are kind of things that go beyond what we've read so far. So if you don't sort of want to discuss those, then you can always shut off when we play the music. And we're also, in the last spoiler section last last time, we had a list of sort of, we did a bit of a sweepstake for who we thought would live and who we thought would die in the Battle of the Bastards. So we'll go through that as well and see how we see how we both did <laughs> with our predictions. I'll level with you. I spent some time after I watched that episode watching it again with my scorecard. Like... <laughs> Like like an England fan after a Euro quarterfinal, Matt, was how I felt about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so firstly, though, uh, we've got a lot to get through today, so let's get into the recap of the episode. Um, so we start off, and we actually go back to the Siege of Marine. This is a bit of a surprise for me, because I thought yeah. we'd, um, we'd basically just come back to this and it'd be all over, because they wouldn't want to film two battles. But they don't film much of it, but we do get a good chunk of, especially dragons, just doing what they yeah. do best. Um, I think that's what they... I think the cost of doing CGI has come down, but I honestly believe those these two sequences may have cost roughly the same amount. Yeah. <laughs> like getting, getting Amelia Clark to sit on top of a dragon that's swooping inexorably above a sea full of bastards <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually filming, you know, several hundred people run at each other in full medieval combat gear. I, I imagine it actually cost about the same amount. Yeah, yeah. 
So it, it starts off with, um, obviously, we, we, we zoom it, a bit of a, a nice sequence of someone firing a uh, burning rock or something over into the city. And then Marine and, uh, sorry, not Marine, Daenerys and Tyrion have this conversation um, where Tyrion's like, what's the pl-? Tyrion basically says, I didn't do a bad job, and he kind of sells it relatively well. And then yeah. he says to Daenerys, so what's the plan? And she's like, well, I'm going to kill everybody and burn the cities to the ground. And Tyrion's saying, ah, this kind of sounds familiar. It sounds a bit like dad talking from your perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I did quite like, you could almost see like Tyrion's ability to not roll his eyes, but somehow show that he would be rolling his eyes if he wasn't so endangered. Yeah. Just like, you can almost hear him going, listen, my queen, I did not travel all the way across the world to find myself yet another place at the right hand of an unstable monarch, right? None of that. (laughs) Well, having none of that, all right, this time out, I'm working for a sane one. What are you? You're a sane one. Well done. (laughs) Yeah, I quite like this new role of Tyrion, sort of moderating the sort of the more angry, vicious, crazy side of Daenerys. Um, Yeah. Because that is there. It's always there in the background with Daenerys, isn't it? She does have this steely... Uh, angry determination um, to yeah, be we, utterly we, merciless and ruthless. Absolutely, as as we've seen in the torching of a big top full of questionably tattooed men. Yeah, yeah. At the very least, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so actually, I thought this was a really interesting moment in in contrast with that because Dario and um, and Sejura are. I mean, they're you know they're king's guard, they're they're knights. They're hot. They're never going to say, "My queen, are you sure?" They're always mm. going to say, right, killing it is. Yeah. Whereas Tyrion is never going to say, right, killing it is, because he's no good at killing. Yeah. So he'll always be like, easy now, steady on, steady on. And <clears throat> I find it interesting that he was doing this as well when um, when Daenerys wasn't there and when it was Grey Worm and Missandei. And he was like, let's do diplomacy, shall we? Like his yeah. whole thing this whole time has been, I can talk us out of this. Mm. Um, which yeah. I thought was really great. So the so the masters saunter up to the uh, pyramid, <laughs> utterly unaware of just how um, <laughs> how the situation has changed here with the just dragons. how shagged they are. Yeah, um, the the dragons sort of break out. Um, obviously, Drogon arrives and uh, Daenerys jumps on his back, and then the other two dragons get out of the pyramid as well. And yeah. um, it's a good job they broke out at that precise moment, isn't it? Because yeah. they've been they've been untied for ages, but they were they were just like waiting below the surface, going, "What well, should, should we go now? Should we go now? No, it's not dramatic enough yet. How about now? Yeah. No, not yet. All right, just wait until he says action, and then you can go." <laughs> yeah, I suppose they, you could you could make a case saying they're just waiting for Big Brother's uh, appearance, and then they're going to break out and do the do the business. But this is yeah, what, what business? They sort of fly around, um, <laughs> pick out one poor... I mean, you've got to be cursing your luck if you're on this one ship that they decide to attack. And absolutely... <laughs> yeah, just to waste. make a point. Yeah, yeah there's like there's 500 ships or something, aren't there? It's completely terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but just to be on that one ship where we're not going to touch them all. <laughs> no, no, no. Just you. <laughs> just you. That's all it is. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean that, that's it. I mean for just a sheer like fantastically shot and really great effects action sequence, that was incredible, wasn't it? The the dragons burning the the ship. It did make me wonder, um, sort of how much how much fire these dragons could sort of could breathe before they're exhausted. 
you know, could they just go on doing this for hours or is it basically one big sort of fire-breathing attack and then they need a sort of day to rest? That's a good question. Um, I think one big fire-breathing attack is probably all you need. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right? Like, I mean, actually, we'll see later on in this episode, like, how most battles in this context are absolutely on a knife edge. Mm. And so you've got a big, hot, flapping, flying weapon of mass destruction. I think you probably only need to use it once. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You get the Dothraki showing up as well outside the gates just to kill a few of the Sons of the Harpy. Just sort of, it's the Sons of the Harpy's final appearance, I assume, there. Um, Yeah, I I would think. It's funny how they sort of, the decline and fall of them, um, considering how big a threat they were sort of at this point in the last series um yeah and they just sort of they they kind of slowed down they obviously stopped because of the diplomacy and then they sort of appear again for a little bit and then that's it they, they, they're done um yeah they do the, the masters get a choice who's gonna die and they just i mean this guy who pushes forward the other bloke on the basis of the fact that he's low born just <laughs> clearly just doesn't understand sort of who he's talking to at all here isn't it glorious? Is yeah. It's it's like it's like in this situation where I've been presented with the consequences of my insane elitism. Yeah. I think I'll double down on the elitism. <laughs> I think the elitism isn't the problem here. No, it's the other people who are killing me. So you know, this I, I just I completely love this. And actually, this is the first of several moments throughout this episode, which I thought made it. And I'll be careful here. I think it's a masterpiece. Oh. I I have been I have been impatient with a lot of the episodes this series and indeed in preceding series as well but this I think was was superb because it I mean all the technical stuff which we'll come to later on and how well it's mounted and stuff but the theme which is all about the power of people against kings hmm. and the power of words against swords and uh, and 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 this was this was this wonderful moment where you just get to glimpse the total insane depth of this guy's privilege that he doesn't even understand that his worldview is part of what's causing him to get killed. Mm. His worldview seems to him completely natural, and so of course he elbows this poor bastard in the back to say, "My word, yeah, kill him," because what we need is more aristocracy around here. Yeah. I love the way um, Tyrion like talks to the guy at the end as well, who's who's left, and it, it, I've really got a um, sort of Godfather feel out of this. Sort of bit, trying to be as oh yeah, giving the impression of being as nice as he can, but saying you know if you're reasonable, then we will get along fine, and and we can be really we can be great friends. But look, just see what happens if you if you step if you're unreasonable, if you step out of line, this kind of stuff has to happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> it just—it's just—it just felt very mafia, but um, great as well. Um, yeah, 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 very much. Uh, it, yeah, as ever. So it, it's more morally complex than perhaps I'm pitching it, but yeah, it, I just—it was it's such a great scene, wasn't it? Then we uh, we cross over to uh, Winterfell, uh, well, outside Winterfell, as the sort of pre-fight discussions going on. Are we going to have a battle? Of course we are. But uh, we got to have a talk anyway. <laughs> um, I quite like here as the discussion begins. You just get this cutaway to the little the, that little girl, Lady Mormons, just like staring yeah. at Bolton yeah. like, in the most angry way ever. And I just thought, I just loved her a bit for that. I was like, oh look at her, she's well up for this. <laughs> it's, it's all I, re- 
I loved that. Yeah, that she she manages to put she manages to be a whatever ten year old girl putting on basically a very sulky face and actually make you think. Oh, I'm not sure I'd mess with that. Probably. Do you want a bit more time in the iPad? Yeah. Do you know what? Carry on. Bit more time in the iPad. Probably. Don't worry about it. Carry on there. Yeah. Uh, John makes this offer of like single combat, which he knows is going to be turned down by Ramsey. But um, it's funny here because there are a few moments um, in the lead up to this battle where it felt to me like they were laying the ground for a um, what we suspected might be the case, even though it didn't look like it, which would be some of the Ramsey army switching sides. Because this almost felt, yeah. that this offer of single combat and this, this thing where he says, oh, um, are your men going to fight for you when they find out they wouldn't, you wouldn't fight for them? It felt almost yeah. like a direct plea to people like the Umbers, this, who are actually standing there with him, with yeah. Ramsey. Yeah. Um, but obviously yeah, it doesn't pay that. off. Yeah, well, uh, but the, the, this was actually, I thought, was the bum note of this whole sequence because I actually spent, I was... I was less engaged in the battle thing because I was sort of waiting for an umber to swing his axe and kill somebody. Because mm. I just could not, I still can't believe, really, um, that they just went, yeah, yeah, Ramsey, he's my bloke. Like, yeah. I just, it just, it's not consistent at all with anything to do with that family or those characters mm. at all. So, yeah, I was very, yeah, yeah, I wasn't convinced. I thought um, in this scene, um, I thought uh, the moment they, they reached into the bag, uh, mm. To pull out the direwolf's head, yeah. I was like, "Oh, it's Rickon." Yeah, like I, yeah. I was, I was all ready for it to be Rickon's dead before the game even begins. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, he but... gets another night. One <laughs> more night. One, um, one more night. <laughs> the uh, Ram- at the end, Ramsey uh, says, uh, "Yeah, I've not fed my dogs for seven days. They're really hungry, so you know, they're all going to eat you." I'm sure. I'm sure that threat isn't going to come back to sort of literally bite him in the ass or anything like that. But we'll see later on in the episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. We then cross back over. Oh no, no, we don't. Sorry, we go um, into the tent. So, so now it's going to happen. There's going to be a battle tomorrow, um, and we go inside the tent for this battle plan. As basically Davos is saying and John are agreeing that they need to draw Ramsey's forces in. They've got a good defensive position. They've got to hold where they are and hope that Ramsay attacks them, loses a lot of men, and then the morale shifts, and some of his men might... Because because he doesn't have particularly strong loyalties from some of these men, they might they might turn, and that's their best chance. Um, yeah. Sansa does a, does this thing where... I can't... I've watched, watched this scene a couple of times, and I can't decide whether she's really just annoying, or she's got a point, or it's both, or what, but... She she kind of stands in the corner and doesn't <clears throat> doesn't offer anything throughout the whole discussion, and then as soon as everyone leaves, moans that nobody asked her to contribute, and then yeah. when John asks yeah. her opinion, she says, "I don't know anything about battles." Um, yeah. And then and then when it finally goes, I mean, she basically says, "But you got to be careful about Ramsey," and then when it finally comes down to her saying, "You know, I don't even think we should have attacked in the first place. We've not got enough men," and John actually says. Well, where are we going to get more men from? We we don't have any more, and she just sort of doesn't say anything. And considering what happens later on, yeah, that feels. I mean, it just yeah. felt like a. I can't really get in her head about what she's doing, other than maybe she's just she feels that she wouldn't be listened to even if she does come up with battle suggestions. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. What did you think about? No, this? I, well, I know, and actually, I have to say that the. I mean. 
we're doing this in sequence, I suppose it's not spoilers or anything, but yeah. the the fact that Baelish turns up with an army to save the day, I actually, I still, I don't think they trailed that well enough. I don't think they set that up well enough. Mm. Um, and I think it will clearly have consequences, and we'll get to that later. But yeah, just, yeah, yeah, you're right. This moment, in retrospect, where she's like, you're not listening to me, there's the, where are we going to get more soldiers from? And then she leaves, <laughs> instead of being like, I have a plan. Yeah. Um, you know, she's either, in that moment, she is either being, like, willfully stupid, um, and like exactly the way she was in, in Episode 2, Series 1, yeah. where she just decides that sulking is the better part of Valor, or she's... What, are, what else is she doing? She's going away to sort of have a think? Like, mm. she hasn't quite worked out where she's going to get these men from, but, you know, in six hours during the following day, she's going to ride off and find this army, because it must be close, yeah. you know? Maybe yeah. maybe it's because she just doesn't know. She doesn't know if he is going to turn up Littlefinger, so she doesn't want to even... The battle like, plan to be built around it. Yeah, and she, and she yeah. doesn't even want John to sort of, yeah, be hoping for that kind of thing if it's not going to happen. If they turn up, great. Um, if they don't, then, you know, they're planning without it anyway. Although, you would say, if you've got this force that might be turning up soon, maybe say, you know, this is another good reason to make absolutely sure you don't do something like charge the enemy tomorrow morning, no matter how angry you are. Well, yeah, I mean, bringing me to the other moment of extraordinary frustration... Um, mm. that I had about this scene, but... Yeah, I suppose we'll get yeah, to it, yeah. 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 So, yeah, the one thing I did think um, that um, I was massively on Sansa's side for, though, was when they're talking about this, and towards the end, Sansa says, look, if this goes bad tomorrow... They've, they've spent the whole sort of last five minutes talking about how the odds are stacked against them, and Sansa says, you know, if this goes bad tomorrow, I'm not going back to Ramsay alive, basically saying, you know... I'm not going to let myself be caught again, and yeah. and John turns around and says, "Oh, I'll I'll protect you. I won't let him touch you again." And it's just like, I can, from I, I really felt like the anger for Sansa there, like you, yeah. another person who cannot. We've just spent five minutes talking about how he cannot promise that, and he, that isn't in his power and, to do. And he says that, and he yeah. just says it, and it's just so easy to say, isn't it? And I thought the reaction of Sansa, but in fact, I was surprised she wasn't more angry. Just saying, yeah. you can't protect me. Nobody can, and it's such bullshit for someone to turn around and say that at this point of this at this yeah. point of the story. Yeah, but actually, I think there's something interesting there. Is that I don't think John would recognise that cognitive dissonance. Yeah, because I think he knows that it's true that all such promises are made subject to your ability to win fights in this world, and that that's the best you can do. I promise I will save you, I will keep you safe from him, is what that really means is I promise I'll try my very hardest. Yeah. And uh, and what's interesting to me here is that she ends up saying almost the same thing, which is she says, you can't protect me, nobody. You can't protect me from him. Nobody can protect anybody from anybody, basically, something like that. Yeah. Right? yeah. And I, I thought that would, you might as well write that on the front of the collected DVD box set of <laughs> Thrones, because that is the theme of the entire series. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's interesting that, you know, I think he's saying what you say in that situation, not because he doesn't, not because he thinks she needs to be lied to. I think just because that's what you say, because all of the all of the inherent uncertainty is built into and hidden behind the bravado that you're obliged to yeah. act out. 
yeah. in order to win as a man in this context. Yeah. And so when she's like, you can't protect me, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a very a great surprise to John because it, it would be like, well, I mean, of course I can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but I but I love her response. You're right. Her, her very, very justified rage of like, don't say that. My entire life has been a sequence of nobody being able to protect me, so don't say that. Mm. Um, and again, it, another moment of extreme thematic depth. I felt like there were a lot of moments in this scene. The end of this scene was one of them, where the things that have been have been part of the series for years all add up to this moment where it's kind of encapsulated. And I and I'm a huge sucker for moments like that. And I think mm. Game of Thrones has tested my patience because it's given me a lot of not moments like that. Um, so I, yeah, I loved it. It was great. Yeah, and I think that the fact John says that um, those words, it's very sort of House Stark as well, isn't it? So it's kind of in character of the of the house and the background is from as well. Um, just to say yeah. that. Um, yeah, yeah. We then go out to the camp. Uh, Tormund and Davos having a wander around, talking about how they're going to prepare for battle. Um, Tormund's going to get drunk on sour goat's milk, and Davos is going just to keep walking all night because he's. Yeah. really nervous i quite like yeah. those two different approaches to sort of the night before the battle as well yeah yeah there were a lot of great moments here i loved tormund and um uh and sir davos talking to one another and just there's something very matter of fact about the night before a battle mm. um because most of the rest of the time, like with John, there's these things, your chivalry demands that you say things that aren't true and then hope that you can make them true, right? Yeah. So there's actually a huge amount of diplomacy and stuff. So it's really great seeing these guys who are people of extraordinary character actually look each other in the face and go, well, this is fucked, isn't it? Hmm. No pretending now. Uh, great. Like just, you know, push has come to shove and you get to see a whole other side of these characters where there's there's less tense politics and more essentially more moments of basic human honesty yeah so we have that um, and then we have a, little, a very brief scene with uh, john and the red woman who is is there apparently i uh, haven't seen her for a few weeks <laughs> yes yeah. i mean they she did a fairly good job as an actress of of telegraphing the fact that she could very conceivably have just been sitting in a tent staring mournfully at the walls for a week <laughs> yeah yeah she just she really did look like that yeah yeah so i mean that was that was kind of a save there um yeah but i thought it was interesting and once again i like seeing her doubt i like seeing her struggle yeah that's far more interesting to me in a religious character than somebody who is just like yeah I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Power, practice, power, practice, punch, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, so John says, if I die, don't bring me back this time. And the Red Woman basically says, I'm going to try because that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, they, they talk, they have a brief discussion about, you know, the nature of, of God and, and, you know, what kind of God would allow this and that. Um, mm. I was quite interested to get a bit meta when when the uh, when these kind of discussions talk, um take place about a god um, who's got a plan it just feels yeah. like they're ta- they're almost stepping out of the story and talking about the author similar to the talking way that George Martin yeah similar <laughs> to the way that they, remember when they had that talk Jamie and Tyrion had that talk when Tyrion was in prison about that this kid who used to just bash bugs for the sake of it because it was funny yeah, um, yeah. and th- that was almost like a little meta talk about George Martin as well this felt like yeah. as they're saying why would a god just sort of bring me back to kill me off again and I was thinking well, yeah, that's the author we've got. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? It's a sort of, yeah, I mean, it, that's the author we've got. It's a very kind of fatalist 
yeah. approach to this particular story universe, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we also go back out then to Davos, who's, as part of his walking, walks towards this sort of pyre and finds the little sort of carving that he gave Shireen. He basically finds out, pretty putting two and two together, that Shireen was burned um, by Stannis and the Red Woman. Interesting here how you see his face, like, obviously realising this, but um, unlike John later on, he doesn't sort of act on this personal stuff because he realises there are bigger things at stake today. And he he kind of he kind of shunts this off for later, I assume. But um, yeah. you know, I kind of wonder had the characters been different, had this been John in this situation, I think he may he storms into Melisandre's tent tonight and kicks off. But I thought it was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we then go over to back to Marine for a quick um, final look in over here, as Theon and Yara have made it over. It's a quick journey. And yeah. they've just turned up. <laughs> I was going to say that. What was it? Flipping Hyperloop was there. Somebody's Elon Musk's been getting busy and building, you know, innovative 21st century travel solutions between <laughs> the, the Iron Islands, which, by the way, are on the other cocking side of Westeros. Yeah, yeah. A, a continent which it's not possible to sail over. Yeah. So they have sailed all the way down and then all the way across. In the space of whenever this episode is supposed to have taken place. Yeah, I mean, they got as far as Volantis last week, didn't they? So I suppose they did break the journey up slightly. Oh, yes, it was in Volantis. Yes, okay, fair enough. That is still quite a long way to go, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I I did really like... I I, I was curious as to how they were going to play out this um, Yara, uh, considering what we saw in Volantis, this Yara-Daenerys interaction, and whether Yara would actually try to, in a similar way to what... Um, her uncle talked about yeah, trying to seduce Daenerys. I just, I really loved the way they did it here, where it wasn't some crass like attempt to seduce somebody. Um, it was, it, I thought actually it was a perfectly handled negotiation from Yara's point of view. But there was this sort of element of sort of sexual tension underneath it as well, and I just thought it was yeah. great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a very, very well, well acted scene. I thought it was great. And um, uh, I particularly liked uh, the sort of the fact that clearly for both of them, they understand that sex is about power. Yeah. So Yara is far smarter than the sort of bloke who turns up with his dick out going, (laughs) this is, you know, like sex, sex is sex as power for violence. Hmm. Um, You know, which is exactly what they say about, you know, if Euron turns up with more ships, he's going to want to marry you and you know you've probably had enough of that and of course she has yeah and so yara understands very very much that you know it, it's a seduction right it's not turning up and conquering somebody and so and this it was really funny how they both clearly are reading from the same hymn sheet and they kind of understand where they're both coming from so there's yeah. no offense taken at all and in fact, I suspect Daenerys is quite refreshed to be dealing with somebody who doesn't just turn up and go, I am <laughs> fighting McKingshlong. <laughs> you know, like, there's just none of that at all. There's just this far more, far more interesting and far more sophisticated interaction. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but, yeah, I mean, but nonetheless, unless somebody shows me in the next episode a, a tracking shot of flipping Marine International Airport, <laughs> I do not believe in this story universe that they could have arrived there in that sort of time. <laughs> Khaleesi Jet. 
Khaleesi <laughs> Jet, that's what it is. Oh dear, yeah, you're the, the, the beleaguered Marini's national carrier. <laughs> Food's not fantastic and things are pretty much held together with packing tape. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great. It was really just so in character for Yara as well, where um, like they talk about how her uncle's on the way over to sort of demand a marriage and... Um, and Daenerys is saying, says, and that's not what you're offering, is it? And Yara sort of just shrugs and says, well, I'd never demand, but I'm up for anything. And it was just, <laughs> it just life. so sardonically, like classically that character, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so much better again yeah. than, than somebody like Yara. So I, all in, I think this whole, this whole arc has been a really smart way of folding together the essentially fruitless fact that you have for some reason you decided to have four brothers fight out on the Iron Islands and somebody else going off somewhere else and going and coming back and fighting and not fighting and deciding and not deciding Yeah, far simpler just to have uh, Yara and Theon light out like they just fantastic piece of story editing there I think yeah yeah I think it, it is a perfectly handled negotiation because um, the, the, the sort of Yara plays on this sort of uh, you know the, the the men have been messing messing the world up for so long. Those girls have got to stick together, and you know which sort of Daenerys likes. And also, Yara is asking and not demanding, and that's that's the key point. That t- when yeah. sort of Daenerys is moving towards agreeing with this, Tyrion says, you know, if if they demand their independence, everybody else will start demanding it too. And Daenerys says, you know, she's not demanding; she's asking. Everyone's welcome to ask, and it's up to yeah. me. Um, and that the condition, the condition for this when they agree it is no more reaving and raping, and that yeah. that that's quite kind of tough for the Iron Islanders, isn't it? Because that's what their <laughs> whole lifestyle's built around. So we'll see. It is well. It's a bit like it's a bit like you know saying to getting an army of English football fans on side, but going now. Listen, let's be clear. Keep it to a five pint minimum, five pint <laughs> maximum. All right, five pint maximum. That's all you're allowed to have. Yeah, five pint minimum. They'd be rubbing. Five pint minimum together. is well. I mean, that's where they are right now, really, isn't it? <laughs> Let's be speaking as an England football fan. That's that's about the pace. Um, but yeah, I did. I and that moment was really great as well because I just had this huge sense of like how huge decisions that change whole cultures are made in the moment. Yeah, you know where somebody goes change this and you know and, and you're in and 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 it's like well i have to change everything in order to do that but actually i need you so yes yeah um although i wonder how long that's going to last really i suspect what'll happen is they'll go north and they'll just start reaving and raiding north of the wall they'll just start <laughs> fucking over they'll, they'll just get the like the only people in the world that the wild the uh the white walkers will come to fear are the iron islanders <laughs> yeah it's going to be interesting to see how that would work politically sort of their entire the reason they are just reavers and basically pirates is because their islands are just basically rocks where nothing really grows so that's the only way they survive so how do you effectively create an economy that supports them (laughs) i was gonna say it's like a governance problem yeah it's like all right daenerys you need to get your uh, your supply routes put in there build a factory or two yeah that's it major sporting stadium perhaps yeah. Westeros for the World Cup next year. Yeah, some kind of some kind of New Deal program for the Iron yeah. Islands. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Subsidised shipbuilding. Fantastic. We don't need any more ships. We're building more ships. That's what they do. Okay, now <laughs> if they're not building yeah. ships, they're reaving. So they're building more ships. Find something for them to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, there, there's some historico-political satire for you. I'm sure we've taken everybody along with us on that particular flight of nerd fancy. 
Okay. Speaking of flights of nerd fancy, it's time to uh, draw the cigarette. <laughs> About that time. <laughs> There's a battle line. You could rely on you for that. <laughs> the battle lines are being drawn. It's the morning, and it's about to it's about to go down. Uh, the we start off with this fantastic tracking shot of the battle uh, of the battlefield, yeah. where the Boltons have got these various sort of uh, crosses set up, which are on fire, um, with obviously bodies attached to them. And I thought that obviously. was an amazing image. Sort of in terms of sort yeah. of macabre, obviously, but yeah, yeah, really yeah. Great. I, it was a very effective piece of thing, but it did sort of make me one of the practicalities behind it because <laughs> I mean, because obviously they've decided that's part of their strategy, right? Yeah. So unless you're doing that to prisoners who are recognisable and they're not because they're hung upside down facing the wrong way and on fire, yeah. Um, so they must just clearly. Ramsey went to bed last night going. Oh, I've got to kill three of them. <laughs> Which three? Do you think it was difficult? Do you think it was like standing in front of the sort of Baskin Robbins selection of ice creams and going, "Which one shall I have?" <laughs> Gosh, I very much think Ramsey would have pre- would sort of approach it like that. Like, "Ooh, this is so great. Which one shall I yeah. burn?" Yeah, I, I get the feeling this is the kind of thing that the Boltons do at the start of every battle. It's just a Bolton thing. I'd imagine Roos did it. So, yeah, I, although, can, I can well imagine that as well. Although, did they say, oh, they weren't allowed to flay people anymore, were they, because of the Starks, but they kind of did it on the sly a bit. But just I just... The, yeah. 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 Um, so this is... It's all about to start. Um, before it starts, Ramsey brings out Rickon, still alive for now, and um, decides to play a game with him. We basically set, t- tells Rickon to run, but run away, run back to John. And he fires a few arrows at him as he's running. This gets John obviously riding out to try and save his brother. And it's quite interesting, like, the, the third arrow, which you think he's going to hit, doesn't hit. And then it, it really, it just, even though I thought, and I predicted last week, Rickon's going to die. Yeah. It still got me where I thought, they get so yeah. close, like, oh, he's going to save him. And then it happens yeah. and he gets, yeah. he gets the arrow. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, what and, and it, that's it. That was a very well mounted piece of directing, wasn't it? Yeah. Like knowing that everybody's going to be of because you have this character who always kills everybody, and so of course he's going to kill Rickon. Rickon hasn't had a word. Rickon's valuable but expendable. Yeah, you know, of course he's going to get killed. Um, and but you're you're right. I was exactly the same way. They had me going, and I resent that. Yeah. <laughs> Hell of a shot as well. You got to give it to Ramsey. He knows how to shoot an arrow, and he a lot of confidence in his ability because um, yeah. it was it was quite far away when he finally got him. Um, but yeah, poor Rickon. I don't think he did get a line at all throughout the whole um, season this year. Um, but uh, yeah, he dies, and then yeah. immediately this volley of arrows is fired from the Bolton side. Of course, it is. Yeah, and John. So John here has got a split second decision to make, and he obviously makes the wrong one because the whole plan is to draw the Boltons in and yeah. he charges forward. I wonder if it's I mean, to making a trying to make a bit of an excuse for him. Maybe it's because in the spur of the moment, you've got to make the decision quickly. These arrows suddenly fire up in the air. Are you going to be able to turn around and run back? You're probably going to get hit before you manage to turn your horse around. Just, just yeah. ride. But, um, it it obviously starts. Yeah. It's the first pebble that starts the avalanche here of which way the yeah. battle's going to go. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it, and it's you know in in moments like that, battles are won and lost. And as we see, actually, but for a Deus Ex Machina moment in a little while, yeah, this you know this is where the battle was lost. Yeah. And so and and that was so clear that I actually found it a little bit you know I found it a little bit difficult to engage with. You've got you've got um you've got the guys on the you've got the guys on the hill, yeah, ranged across the hill, thousands of dudes. And then you've got these long tracking shots of really quite small groups of, of uh, wildlings and other people yeah, um, with a one giant standing in the middle. And then John doesn't stick to the plan. And you're like, ah! Oh, John, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, well, I could just about sort of believe it because it's, it's, it's a dumb move, but sort of he's in the middle, it's in the heat at the moment. And you... The kind of it's a kind of strain and pressure that you can't really imagine anyone being under, so you can't really predict how they would react. But yeah, yeah there's a there's a there's a basically a, a sun blotting out amount of arrows on the way over to you. You've just <laughs> seen your brother killed by this guy. Yeah. So yeah, you make a decision. He makes the wrong one. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm not surprised that the um, that the rest of the people behind that the. Uh, that Tormund and and Davos send the rest of the, that the, the cavalry charge behind him because I think yeah. it, you could you could think there cut your losses John's going to get killed and then just still stick to the plan but the damage mm. that would have on the morale is probably yeah, going to finish lost, you anyway. You've lost the it? battle there anyway. Yeah, and that's exactly what Davos says. And I thought he I, Liam whatever his name is Liam Cunningham acted this really really well where he just yells follow your commander. Yeah. And and that's and and he's right. Like it's another moment actually, and a moment which made much more sense to me than the bit last week where the guys defending River and are just like, "Well, he's the boss. I've got to let him in." <laughs> yeah. um, it's another moment like that, but which makes more sense because if you don't follow your commander, your battle plan is shot. Battle is not a democratic environment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was. So it was all on John. This and this failure would all would entirely have been on him. Mm. Yeah. So we we get um, so John charges forward. He gets his horse killed from under him. Sort of ends up on his sort of basically on on foot as this massive cavalry charge is coming towards him from the Boltons. Um, and he draws his sword. He does this sort of look, and it, it made me think like he's 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 kind of thinking, yeah, just like Dad, you know, <laughs> I just couldn't help myself. And it was all about sort of I've I've not I've chosen honor over pragmatism. Like my family always do, and that's what's going to fuck me up. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, John. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but ju- just at the point where you, where the charge is about to meet him, his cavalry from behind um, sort of go past him, and you're just suddenly into this this chaotic um, sort of battle. Oh, then, which is really great, name. isn't it? Yeah. Now. This is interesting because did you read much fiction as a kid that was kind of set around battles like this, like Lord of the Rings and Narnia and stuff? Yeah, right. There's a the horse and his boy is a Narnia book. I read the Narnia books inside out and back to front when I was a kid, and um, the um, there is a bit at the end of the uh, the horse and his boy where there's um, there's a huge battle scene which your protagonist like gets knocked out quite early on. Yeah. And um and and you know he gets play by play on the battle afterwards. And it's it's a kids book so it's all very sort of like you know people are talking about it in that very kind of jolly way. But I've always been struck by one of the things in that in that description of the battle the play by play of the battle is like you don't know how difficult it is to survive in a battle it's all chaos. 
yeah. and you can't know. And I think that's really interesting because this scene brought me into that awareness better than any other thing I've seen, including Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, in Lord of the Rings, they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on mounting battle scenes far bigger than this, but obviously for kids. So not with nearly this amount of blood, peril, and horror. Yeah. And so it was this. I now read. You know you know how you see in, in the UK, you know, you drive around and there's those brown English heritage signs everywhere, kind of, you know, battle of such and such, battlefield, something over here. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm not going to think about battlefield, the word battlefield, the same again after watching this episode because for the first time it put in front of my eyes exactly how nasty and uh and 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 weird and dangerous and unpredictable battles are Mm. and how like how miraculous it is that anybody survives anything like that and how it is absolutely just down to chance yeah It's, it's russian roulette played with a machine gun next to your forehead and I just, it was such a powerful depiction of it. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah, Loved the, the, just the sheer blind look of it all, isn't it? Especially when, um, they're, they're obviously you've got the two um, sets of, um, like, detachments of archers as well. And Davos decides not to fire because he doesn't want to fire on his own men. And Ramsay yeah. fires. And then you Happily get... fires on his own men. Yeah. yeah. And that, to be honest, I, that's been described as, all oh, the, the cruel Ramsay, you know, idiot move again. But I kind of think w- this is one of the few things where were Roose Bolton still in his place, he would have done the same. Because from a sheer numbers point of view, it's worth losing those men you've sent into battle because you've got more and and John doesn't have more. So from yeah. a from a completely sort of ruthless, cold, detached sort of approach, he's just like his dad here, Ramsey, I think. Yeah. Um, but that those arrows falling down, it's entirely luck, isn't it? And John's yeah. one of the lucky few thousand who don't get hit and there's just another few thousand who do and there's just no sort of yeah doesn't matter anything about your skill or your tactics or your awareness it's just yeah look blind look there yeah absolutely i'll tell you what it made me think of actually was um uh the battle of hastings 1066 which is meaningless to everybody else in the world who listens to this but to a to a a, particularly to an english person Mm. that's very famously the last time anybody invaded england and succeeded at it um and um the king who led england in that battle to a loss um is famous for appearing in a a picture from the time um with an arrow in his eye Mm. and for that reason he has always been taught to me as a kind of laughable figure like you know that's always a bit of a punchline that image of him getting an arrow in the eye um and actually watching this again i was like well you know anybody could have got an arrow in the eye fuck once you're using arrows all bets are off yeah there's no heat seeking there's no aiming there's all there is is luck yeah yeah the funny thing is as well with hastings um it kind of apart from the uh, cavalry, you know, the cavalry coming in to save the day. Hastings basically happened like this without the cavalry saving the day because yeah. um, the sort of English uh, uh, had a very well defensible position, but a smaller army, and the Normans come and charge and then retreat. And for some reason, which historians still don't really know exactly why, the English infantry chased them and then gave up that position, and that's that's when the battle turned. So that's, it's funny. It's a, it's a real. It's a real sort of echo of what actually really happened in in ten sixty six. This battle. I'll be damned. Mm. I had no idea. Thank you. I had no idea that 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 this. I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all. There's always a lot about about 
European history that rings really true in A Song of Ice and Fire in a way that it doesn't in other fantasy where it's just like, put the armor on him, you know, flingity flop, swing the sword around, it's basically <laughs> the same, right? Like, there's a lot of depth to this, and it doesn't surprise me at all that George Martin or, you know, the, the TV series would write something which actually has a hinterland. Mm. Um, yeah. Like that. Yeah, it felt Ooh. felt a bit from the way this is all shot as well. Like, they were, it really drew from some of the best bits of those um, those war battle films. I, I I had a feel that yeah, there was definitely elements of Lord of the Rings in here, especially the sort of the cavalry charge at the end, the sort of slow yeah. motion in, income the yeah. saving. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. You, I, I was yeah, but, to see but instead of it's, yeah, exactly. Instead of having Gandalf, you got Peter fucking Bailey. <laughs> Just talk about a letdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the same smug grin on his face as he had when he was a prostitute, a pimp. Yeah, like yeah. I. Oh dearie me. Yeah, but I, I, I thought I thought there was real sort of shades of things like Gladiator in here as well. You know, the sort of battle scene at the start of that film, um, and also sort of a. It felt very much like a medieval version of um, the start of Saving Private Ryan as well. There's a lot of those devices yeah. used. So you have the sort of slow motion bit where John's looking around and taking it all in and you got the sort of bits of people lying down, sort of trying to push their own guts back inside the body as well. It's the sort of the, the horror of war elements. There are quite a few examples of that which yeah. were very clearly borrowed from Saving Private. It kind of felt like they, they sat down and thought, right, we want to film a the best medieval battle scene we could ever film. Let's draw on some inspirations from how other films have done it as well um, yeah. with other battles. Yeah. So I thought it was really well yeah. done. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. There. Yeah, you're right. You know, you've got the slow mo bit. You've got the super like the hyperactive camera bit where you've only got like you're showing sort of one one frame out of two or something. You know, that mm. kind of really jittery, really oversaturated image. Um, really bright uh, whites and everything else is really dark. Yeah. Um like incredibly powerful. Um powerful as well because of the the crush scene. Where, yeah. You know where where the, the the battle without taking a break without cutting away at all and I thought this was really smart the way it goes from you know the chaos of combat to John falls over and people fall down dead on top of him yeah. and he keeps trying to get up and he can't push them off and it does that without a break it doesn't do that with a long shot it doesn't take any of the any of the momentum out of it it just shows how quickly something like that can go wrong you know without without a break and without a pause mm. and i found it i mean incredibly incredibly affecting actually because i'm i'm an english football fan so whenever I think of crowd crushes, I think of the Hillsborough disaster, mm. and and it was and once you know, and I've seen dramatic representations of that event as well, and it was it, you know it was horrifying. The horror hasn't been lost on me, but it it very much brought it home in a in a very very powerful way. Mm. This particular scene, just how easy it is when you've got a lot of people panicking, how easy it is to be crushed to death. Yeah, and it was it was very. Ooh, I mean that that was a moment in the middle of the thing where I was like, and it was interesting, just because it tied to an experience which is not a million miles away from from you know what people people I know and, and, and I have experienced mm. um it was for that reason that scene was the one where I looked away you can have you can have any amount of people having their flesh melted off their bones and you can have Rick on start getting kebabbed by a by a longbow bolt and you can have <laughs> you know the see the Ramsey scene at the end of the thing which is obviously awful you can have one one ripping a chunk of flesh out of his hand but 
it was that scene, the crushing scene, where I was like, I'm not sure I can cope with this. Yeah. And for a TV series to achieve that, amazing. Yeah. So this, yeah, this crushing scene develops after it's kind of like the um, reinforcement section happens here. So you have the initial cavalry charge and then the arrows falling down as the as the two sides are fighting i thought it was quite interesting how the cavalry charge and torment's wildlings basically charge at the same time but you're sort of a good while into the sort of fighting until torment arrives because obviously they're running so they <laughs> it takes them a lot longer to get there and i like how the level of detail in this they've thought about that even you know he doesn't torment doesn't even show up till five minutes later because they're still running. They're still they're still sprinting across this massive amount of dead ground to get there. Um, then you get Davos and the archers because they think, well, we're no use. We may as well try and sort of be some kind of reinforcement, such as we are. And the Boltons from the, the sorry, not the Boltons, the Umbers from the other side. Um, this is the moment where I thought, now now they're going to turn. Yeah. Now they're going to turn, and they don't. Yeah. <laughs> which is real, yeah. which is a real shame because he's su- he's such a badass. This guy as well, the small John. Yeah. Where he sort of does his shout, and he's like, "Who owns the north?" And they're like, "Show me!" And then they're off, and he's so, thinking, "Oh, so great!" Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. That was amazing. And that's my thing is that he shouldn't. It was so great, and it was so well acted and so well scripted in that. But I'm still like, why are you doing that for Ramsay <laughs> Bolton? Yeah. I just that scene just it was not nearly enough to convince me that that's what that that's what went down you know like i began i've begun to feel a little bit like and i haven't felt like this before in game of thrones because they've taken their time with a lot of storylines but yeah. in this series there have been moments where i'm like i felt like i did with the lord of the rings films where i'm like oh, i want to get the extended version of that yeah you know what i mean i want to see a couple more scenes put into a song of ice and fire somewhere explaining why the small john reckons that this you know simpering flipping sadist mm. Ramsay Bolton was worth overturning his family's thousand year inheritance of extreme loyalty to the Starks in order to pursue yeah I wonder if um, this is partly because it's it's our reading of the our sort of close knowledge of the books and our, have, the fact we've read all the books actually damaging our enjoyment of the series because it's almost telling two very different stories the book and the series here because in the books yeah. you write the the whole point is around the sort of North remembers and all this kind of stuff and how loyalty in the North means so much more than in the South. Um, whereas I think the the story that the series is telling us is that that's all just lip service. And when it comes down to it, the people in the North are no more loyal to the Starks than anyone is loyal to the Crown in the South, that it's just yeah. out of self-interest in the end when it comes down to it. And it's yeah. quite a depressing way to think about it, but... I think that's very much, very clearly what they're trying to tell in the because there was all this talk when Sansa and, and John are doing their tour of getting people to support them, and they're saying, "Oh, Northerners are much more loyal," and Davos is saying, ah, "Are they really?" And it comes down to it: Are they really that loyal? And he's right as far as the series is yeah. concerned. It's yeah, it's that kind of old those old ties don't really count for much in this in the series. Yeah, which is weird. yes, that's very very true, and. Um, very very sad and I think I mean maybe it's just a, a level of you know thematic depth which they decided not to put in there fair enough hmm. but I, for me it really was I mean I mean because you know I'm 
more from the north of England than I am from the south, at least. And um, and so anybody wants to bang on about the you know the unimpeachable integrity of the north of any country, I'm like, yep, yeah, with you there, yeah, <laughs> definitely with you. Let's do it. And uh, and 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 they have used the North Remembers language elsewhere in the TV series. Mm. So I'm just a little bit like, oh, why did you have to turn out to be rubbish? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Now um, we then get to this crush scene. So what you what you end up with basically is you've got. Um, what's left of John's army in the middle? You got sort of a crescent on one side, which is basically just a pile of bodies. It's almost f- formed a, yeah. a, a like a, a barricade now, and then all yeah. of, and basically the uh, the umbers are climbing over that to get at the uh, to get at the uh, John's army, and then yeah. all around the, the the crescent around the sort of the other side, it just becomes. Um, this wall of shields from the uh, Bolton army, almost like a Roman legion thing, isn't it? Where they they all sort of form up and then poke the spears through, and then slowly start tightening the circle. And yeah, this was the most horrific part of the battle, wasn't it? As you've said, it's the this is where the crush begins because people start to panic. There are the wildlings are on the outside of that circle, and they any attempts they make to try and break out of the shield wall, they can't do. Uh, Tolman nearly gets himself killed trying to do it. And in the end, yeah. it's just sort of a this kind of desperate retreat from the advancing spearmen into the yeah. advancing Boltons, and you think it's it's going to yeah. be over soon, this. Yeah, yeah, and you absolutely do. And uh, this was another place where they really demonstrated... Uh, this is from another era of um, warfare, isn't it? Because the, the Wall of Shields thing was the Romans done yeah. first. Yeah. Obviously, pike warfare went on for thousands of years after that. But, you know, like, but you really understand, like... Shit! You just, you've, <laughs> like you've had it, just yeah. just how fucked you are when you're when you're infantry facing off against pikemen. Yeah, it's like it's game over. Like there's no there's no question. You are gonna die forty foot away from the guy you're supposed to be fighting. Yeah, on the end of his spear. Um. So I I obviously I love the fact that Tormund, of course he does, manages to overturn this eternal. Uh, warfare constant a man on his feet cannot fight a man with a shield and a pike by ripping some bloke's ear off in his teeth <laughs> and essentially going thanks can i have seconds it's just because that's and that's again that's this real berserker thing in it it's all from history it's all that's the the um the reputation that um uh, vikings had mm. of being the lads who just wouldn't stop fighting and didn't really care about dying and were definitely going to do something embarrassing to you even before you killed them <laughs> even if you did you yeah know? yeah and that's exactly what he does fantastic the, yeah this moment where john's nearly nearly crushed and he fights his way up I, this was interesting to me because whenever i've thought of like medieval battles in the past i've always thought um if you sort of fell over or something ended up with someone's body on you you'd be like oh right that'll do then i'll just stay here till it finishes now <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just gonna chill and survive now that's great but obviously yeah. you just you won't you just get suffocated or trampled to death if you don't get up yeah. um yeah absolutely so there's just no even there there's just, there's just no escape once you're in the middle of this there's no escape um yeah which is the real horror of it um yeah. I, I thought it's really impressive how they've both film this battle as just some chaotic um you know uh, just trust your luck uh, death show and at the same time there's still a very clear structure to how it's happened you've got the 
you know, the initial charge, you've got the reinforcements coming in, you've got the encirclement, and it, it feels like a, ta- a very clear tactical battle as well. And that that's amazing to get that combination, to make it feel chao- yeah. utterly chaotic, but also with a very clear structure, um, yeah. which is weird. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it looks like it's nearly over. You've got everybody being crushed. You've got basically Tormund and the small John going one-on-one in a slugfest. Um, it's interesting <laughs> that the small John and... John nearly end up fighting and they both yeah. seem to hesitate and yeah. then and then they get sort of pulled away from each other and it ends up being Tormund who who fights the small John yeah. and yeah oh, as yeah. you say um it, it ends with this ridiculous finishing move so uh, it looks like looks like small John the small John's going to win he's basically nutting him and breaking his nose and then you hear that horn as the uh as the uh, the veil knights show up that sort of distracts the small john for a split second giving tom in the opening to literally rip the guy's throat out with his teeth which is it just i mean it was shocking it was slightly less shocking to me because i've seen the exact same thing happen a season ago in the walking dead where a guy (laughs) like a person does this um yeah but it was still like whoa that is yeah that is crazy yeah and yeah 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 like and 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 again a really great moment the the fact that the john john the john and the small john (laughs) john and the small john meet and hesitate and that's just enough for them not to fight yeah that was really interesting because in any other film that total badass meeting that protagonist results in a 10 minute fight scene yeah where everybody else somehow doesn't attack them while they're fighting (laughs) yeah and i think and it was it, one of the great things about this is that it didn't do any of those like banner headline, you know, kind of introducing <laughs> the heavyweight champion of the world. You know that it yeah. doesn't do that. It doesn't have these kind of top of the top of the billing title bouts. Yeah. You know, they meet, they're just about to start fighting, and then the battle moves them away from each other, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the same with uh, with John and Ramsey as well. Yeah. Um, the the arrival of these um, the, so the, so the the Vale Knights now arrive and charge into battle, and um, <clears throat> and something that really struck me with this when you see them charging in in slow motion is just how well equipped and armoured these knights are compared to everybody else we've seen in this battle because every even even the cavalry on both sides for the Boltons and for for John's army you basically looking at sort of spears and leather armor and yeah. uh, the same for the infantry and then the wildlings not even that and then in mm. come the veil knights and you talk you're looking at full sort of high medieval late plate armor and yeah you know all the most expensive stuff you can get and you really you, you know even before you see the cavalry just absolutely uh, and we've heard this already where Tormund was talking about the dangers of cavalry attacking infantry yeah. from the side so we kind of got a little lesson in this at the start anyway but it's just so clear as soon as you see these guys turn up that it's over and yeah. the battle's going only one way now yeah and obviously I was happy that it happened obviously it was well shot obviously it sets up lots of interesting plot things because this is Sansa, who is now Lady of Winterfell, being helped out by Littlefinger, who knows exactly where to be when somebody needs a, a slimy advisor constantly at their left elbow. <laughs> um, so it sets up the next series very, very interestingly. But And I was glad that it happened, because I like those characters and I don't want them to die. 
But did this feel to you a little bit like the most absurd example of Deus Ex Machina in the history of popular culture? Um, it felt like, guys. Like, so um, it's so convenient for them to show up at this time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of gave it a bit of license because this does happen in fiction a lot, doesn't it? And yeah, it I, does, and it's happened in real life, as you say. You know, it was, that was very nearly the story of the Battle of Hastings and loads of other battles as well. Yeah, yeah, and um, as, and you know, the uh, this has happened in the series before as well. If you look at this, is how. This is how Blackwater ended, isn't it? Just a, yeah. a last-minute cavalry a, arrival of cavalry from a force that you didn't expect to make it there in time. Yeah. Um, in fact, I thought this was less of a. I loved Blackwater, but it, that felt more of a ghost in the machine than this because it just ended up. It looked like it was over, and then suddenly Tywin bursts into the throne room and says, "We've won." And you're like, "Oh, yeah, oh, okay. that's true. Yeah, that was." <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a frustrating moment. They get away with a lot because I think it's true that that's generally how battles are found out about yeah. and won. You know, is that most people aren't there when the killing blow is struck. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I think in the context of it being you know a fictional history instead of a instead of a novel per se, mm. although it clearly still is. Um. You know, that that's there's more that's more acceptable. It is more acceptable for this sort of thing to happen, but. I could have just done with a bit more setup. I could have done with the conversation between John and Sansa making it clearer where she was going and why, yeah. or at least why she would go off and find somebody like that. And a bit more in the last episode about Peter being on his way over. Yeah. You know, because all, all we've had is Peter and my goodness, hasn't Robin grown? <laughs> um, you know, a scene which isn't really about soldiers at all. It's about birds and my goodness, hasn't Robin grown? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and isn't he still a terrifying psychopath? Whereas, and so just one more scene of them gathering or mustering somewhere, or you know, I mean, I suppose that would have ruined it. But I just, just something to make it feel a little bit less like all your problems are solved forever. Bam. Yeah, yeah. you don't think the letter was enough that Sansa wrote? I suppose that was it's still a bit of a yeah. reach, isn't it? No, yeah. because it was because we haven't. It's too much for us to believe to understand from that scene alone that Sansa is now a sensible political operator who's doing something very tactically savvy. Because mm. every time in the past she's had an argument and then gone off on her own to do something, it's ended up with somebody dying. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. like this, I haven't seen enough character growth on her part in order to make that what I go to yeah. as an assumption. Yeah. Um, so Ramsay retreats to Winterfell behind the walls. He says, right, we're going to have to just wait it out. Um, it, feel, it feels a bit panicky, this. I'm not even sure even if they do... I don't think they can hold the castle regardless now. But um, mm. it doesn't matter anyway, because one one turns up with a load of sort of other men, uh, bashes his way into the, uh, through the gate, takes a, a, the worst, takes a load of arrows, the worst one, that one on the hand where he pulls his hand oh, up and pulls horrible, it out. It? Oh, yeah. yeah, it makes me cringe just yeah. thinking about it. But he, bur- yeah. he bursts in and in a touching tribute to Sean Bean, goes full Boromir and sort of goes onto his he knees as he just gets feathered <laughs> with arrows. But, oh, it was as if they were like, you think Boromir was impressive, do you? <laughs> four arrows. Was it just four? He's yeah. nine foot tall, so let's make it happen. Yeah, so he, so he gets, so he's, he's absolutely full of arrows. He's been, he's been, throughout the battle, actually, every time it cuts to him, he's being shot with something or stabbed with something. So Yeah, and he's still going. Yeah, and then he finally basically dies in the courtyard with a, when he gets shot, and first some people say, oh, it was, you know, final um, sort of bastard act of Ramsay killing a beloved character, but it kind of felt like, 
almost a mercy when that that arrow hits his eye because he's just completely yeah. fucked this guy he's just he, there's yeah. no way he's surviving regardless now well i mean it was a poetic death wasn't it he's the last of the giants he's yeah. gonna go he's in a battle he knows he's gonna die yeah. he dies in a good cause and also you know i don't think it's a mercy so much as it is sound tactics yeah. What's the one thing in this courtyard that could tear me limb from limb without really trying? <laughs> oh, is it the giant? Probably kill him first, then. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I certainly don't think Ramsey did it out of mercy, um, but it just felt like a mercy yeah, for yeah, the yeah. for the for the giant when he goes down. So then it yeah. goes into a one on one. I mean, it's you can call it a fight, barely a fight. Ramsey fires a few. Uh, it kind of felt like the end of a computer game. This where you sort of you've just won the boss fight, and now you just got to press sort of X to finish it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he like yeah. he fires a couple of arrows at John. John deflects him with a shield, and then beats the crap out of him. I thought it was this is a great little touch. The shield that John picks up um, is a shield. It's a Bear Island shield. So oh, is it? one of those like what was it sixty odd guys 60, yeah, that made brilliant. it all the way into the castle, <laughs> <laughs> and without his shield, John would have died. Yeah, yeah. So I just love that little touch there, um, just showing that they they were particularly fierce. These guys who from Bear Island. Um, so John nearly beats Ramsay to death, and then stops when he sees Sansa. Um, yeah. We have this lovely moment where we replace the. Bolton banners with the Stark banners, which is great. Oh, doesn't it do your heart good? <laughs> Isn't it fantastic? It's the warm feeling inside of justice. Um, <laughs> There's a callback. Hey, <laughs> eh? and then we we have the final scene where Ramsay goes down, where Sansa goes down to the dungeon to see Ramsay. Um, she basically sets his own dogs on him. Uh, Ramsay says, "Oh, they're loyal. They won't do that." But obviously, they're so hungry that they kill him and eat him anyway it's a it's a horrific yeah. and sort of fairly cathartic for the audience death and also yeah. quite thematically it's quite good about the sort of how he's treated everybody ramsey um yeah. and it's weird because sort of the wider point i think that thematically it's making is if you treat people like this enough and um, badly enough, they'll eventually turn on you, even if you, yeah. as soon as you show weakness. Um, although yeah. that didn't happen with the actual army, which felt yeah. a little detached. Yeah. But still, it yeah, was quite I nice agree with that. Yeah. Well, and that was that was one of the things that was awful about Ramsay, wasn't it? Is that he was this horrible character to whom everybody was really loyal, hmm. and it was never really clear why. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, having him killed by his own dogs is is what is what needs to happen there. Hmm. Um, and um, I thought, um, what's his name? Ewan, Ewan Iffen, something like that. Mm. Ewan Evan um, is. Uh, he acted it really well, right to the very end. He was that character. You know, he doesn't have this moment where he turns into like a gibbering whatever. Yeah. Like, and he was so subtle that when he, the moment that you knew he was going to die was when the dog's on his lap and he tells him to get down and the dog doesn't move. And you can hear in his voice when he tells the dog to move that he's not going to get what he wants, and he knows mm. it. But he's still no less Ramsay Bolton in that moment. Mm. Um, and it's so, yeah, really, really well acted scene. Um, yeah, and obviously Sansa gets Sansa gets what she wants as well, right? Yeah, and I quite like that bit at the end where Ramsay says, "Oh, you know, um, a part of me's in you now." And yeah. um, I, th- I think that's sort of that that's a, a wider thing about how. There, there is a sort of ruthless edge to Sansa now, and sort of, I don't think, oh, I, I, yeah. I don't think pre-encounter with Ramsay Sansa would ever set 
dogs on someone no matter what they did. But she she's more ruthless now than she would have been before she met him. And that sort of dark part of her is, you know, is just there now, regardless of what she does to Ramsay. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah. And I think um, his his point was, like, yeah, you're right. That's there. That's in her character. I quite like her comeback, though, which is to... Because, you know, they they know each other's... They know each other's blind spots. And mm. so she comes back with a list of all the reasons why everything he's done is meaningless. Yeah. You know... You know your name will be forgotten, and I'll. Uh, you, you know, your name will be forgotten. Your house will be forgotten. Your achievements will be forgotten, and I'll forget you. Hmm. And that that last one is the big kicker, isn't it? Yeah, is that yeah. you won't. You, you know, you won't even be part of me. I, although you have, you know, it's true and very games of Game of Thrones that actually it seems clear that character wise, in terms of what her character is now like, she will remember him because that's why she acts this way. Hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But she turns around and walks off. Sansa Stark wins. <laughs> One of the way with the finishing move with the dogs. Yeah, yeah, the um, finishing move with the dogs. And that's that. Yeah, as you said, you thought this was a, a particularly strong episode, a masterpiece, you said. I did, I did. I realised that I've subsequently talked about things that didn't quite work for me, but I need to be clear that that all happens against the background of... Mm. I, I, it was great. I, it did the things that it did in a way that I've never seen TV do it. I think this is... You know, I, it's not a transcendent work of art, but it is definitely the best I have ever seen warfare presented in, certainly in TV. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, as, as we said before, we, um, in the uh, bunker full of, when we were inside the bunker full of spoilers last week. Um, <laughs> With a massive we, hole in the roof, yeah. <laughs> crumbling around our ears. Yeah, we discovered the, um, the sweepstake uh, card, which is basically, it's basically a list of all the... Um, all the characters who um, we thought would be involved at the Battle of the Bastards, and you had to bet whether they would live or die. So I've got the results here from what we went for. Um, shall we go through them one by one? Yeah. So this is our our scorecard for the great oh, Battle of the Bastards awful. sweepstake. Yeah. Um, so the first one was Brienne. Now, Brienne wasn't even there in the end. Yeah. Um, so you said die, I said survive. The, the result is not there, so I think that's just a... If it's a, if someone wasn't there, I think we just call it, discount it entirely. Yeah. So that's yeah. That, that, that's a no... Um, what do they call it? Um, like a void, anyway. No no result. No result, yeah. Uh, Dolores, Dolores Ed was on this list. Goodness knows why. I, yeah. I assumed when I saw this that the person who put it together knew something we didn't, but obviously not. <laughs> no, um, I think you just named everybody you could think of that might <laughs> that definitely isn't dead or elsewhere in the world. Yeah, well. yeah. Well, we both said survived for that, and he didn't turn up. So again, um, a no bet. Yeah. <laughs> Can we not claim that because he's not dead, so he survived? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like you said last week. Yeah, he survived in the same way as you not being at the Battle of Britain. You survived that. <laughs> um, this is weird. Next one, Ghost. Yeah, where was Ghost? <laughs> exactly. Where the hell was Ghost for the entire battle? Um, Shit. Yeah. All right, it's not a masterpiece anymore. You can't leave a plot all outside. <laughs> in it. So we both said dead. We thought we thought the Ghost was going to die in this. Um, yeah. But again, uh, it's a it's a void bet because he didn't show up. I, I promise, at some point there will be characters that did a, did appear in the battle. <laughs> um, oh, this this is another weird one again, actually. Um, Karstark. 
Now, Karstark, oh, yeah. Karstark did show up. He was there. He was definitely there at the parley at the start. And I yeah. think he was there like amongst the battle lines when it was when the battle was beginning. But I've watched this a couple of times, and I didn't see him die. And I didn't see him at the end. So I think this is an unknown. What did you think? Yeah, I think it's unknown as well. Like, I, I mean, he's not as impressive a character as the small John, which is why he didn't get the screen time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Well, you said survive, I said dead, and the, the thing is we don't know, so it's a, that, that's a, a so game discount. We're, we're fairly solidly on a nil-nil draw here. It, it, yeah. The full 90 minutes at nil-nil. Yeah, so is your extra time. Uh, John, John Snow, um, we both said survive for John, and he did yeah. survive, so that's the, call yes. that a 1-1, one, one, shall we? Yeah. Um, Littlefinger, again, we both said survive. He survived, 2-2. Two, two. Of course he did. We need some bad guys left in this TV series. Yeah. Uh, Lyanna Mormont, the uh, the girl, um, she survived, didn't she? Pretty sure she did yeah. anyway. Again, I yeah. suppose it's an unknown because we didn't see her at the end, but I kind of think she did. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll technically put that as an unknown, but we both said survive anyway. Score. <laughs> Melisandre, again, at the start, we said, well, we don't even know if she's there. Turns out she was there. We do see her at the end, so she survived. We both said survive, so still tied <sighs> again. Um. <sighs> This is this is torture. Yeah, well, Podrick Payne. We on, we're on penalties now, aren't we? Yeah. Podrick Payne, um, again, didn't turn up. Uh, oh. you, you said dead, I said survive, but again, didn't show, so we won't count it. This is ridiculous. Are we ever, ever going to get to... Yeah, I can hear it in your voice, though. There's a tie break where you got it right and I got it wrong, isn't there? Here, you're, you're all ready to do that. Here comes Davos Seaworth. Oh, bollocks! <laughs> uh, you confidently <laughs> predicted dead and, and I said I survived. Uh, he did survive, so that's that's one for me. Yeah, yeah, but he's dead inside, isn't he? He, he found, he found <laughs> Shireen's right. burned stack. He's, he's, so he's, he's dead inside, really, yeah, isn't yeah. he? Uh, next one's Rickon. Uh, we both said, not a chance. <laughs> he's he's going to die. And of course we were right. Um, yeah. Rickon. Just on a point of that, why isn't he zigzagging when he's running? Straight, yeah. It's running a straight well, line. Come on, Rickon. Quite. Yeah, asking quite. for trouble. Um, yeah. Sansa, we both said survive, and she did. Yeah. The small John, we both said dead, and he did die. And we also both correctly predicted, even though it was on a knife edge, that he wouldn't turn out to be a good guy after all. Um, yeah. we, we, we've spoken at length about that, haven't we? But it's a shame yeah. that he didn't. But yeah. you know, at least yeah. it's nice. You let to me be down. Right. You yeah. let me down, little Johnny. Tormund. No, yeah. we we both yeah. said that Tormund wasn't going to make it. Yeah, um, and he but we both said that on the understanding that this geezer who put together this betting card thought that Brienne was going to be there, and yeah. there's just too much too much juice in it for him not to die defending her. Yeah, you know? yeah, I still think that might might happen just at a later date. Tormund dies yeah. defending Brienne, but um, it didn't happen in the Battle of the Bastards, so it's still still one nil to me. As we come to our our last our last one on the card, here we go, one one. Yep. Which you said he would die and I said he'd survive. Yes! So it's a last minute equaliser. Score! <laughs> because the poor guy, of course, Wumbun, was, he was probably the centrepiece death, actually, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I was actually quite surprised how um, how few character deaths there were in terms of main character deaths. We've had, yeah, who did we yeah, get? Just, Rickon. Just, Wun yeah, Wun. Rickon, Ramsey, and Wumbun. Ramsey. I suppose you could say Small John as well. But um, I suppose he's only had one scene, and he was a knob. Yeah, but yeah, it's, so I think fucking... I think the the sort of the body blow body count was still lower than um, hold the door. 
Um, yeah, very we'll... true, and and significantly lower than the Red Wedding, which is quite an achievement when you're talking about a battle scene that size. Yeah, yeah. But there we go. So that was the that was the scorecard. Um, we oh, we didn't do that badly that. there, did we? To be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite proud of that. I was quite 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 pleased. We called, called a few of the key ones anyway. Um, yeah. Just the Tormund was the the one blot on the copybook there, I think. Um, but yeah, right. Um, on to feedback, as we say. Um, if you want to get your feedback in, it's uh, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. We're also um, available on Twitter, at sharkliveroil. Some good stuff coming down from there in the last couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> we're a bit light for feedback this week, although we do have one. Um, now, Dave, as you know, there are two strata of feedback. <laughs> There's the the stuff that gets into our normal inbox, and there's yeah. the stuff that gets diverted to junk mail, and criminally diverted. These cri- are these yeah. are good people, Matt, trying to get in touch with us. Yeah, and Google's all like, whatevs. Yeah, so so we dip in there, and we do find messages from good people. Good people like Patrick Olinma, um, who all right, Paddy. Yep. Yeah, subject header: I need your partnership reply. Now. Oh. I, I was wondering, then. I clicked on this quite excitedly thinking, is it a reference to last minute alliance building in the uh, in the Battle of the Bastards? Is it some kind of talk about Sansa, uh, how she's reaching out to Littlefinger? If so, Patrick, you've called it correctly. Uh, turns out it's not about that. Um, it starts off, how are you today? We're okay, aren't we? Yeah, all right. Uh, Patrick all right. says, don't be surprised to receive this email from me. Okay. Well, I mean, we haven't heard from you for a while, Paddy, but no, it's always a delight to hear from you. Thanks, mate. I want to conclude the business I've protected for you for so long. I will work on a 60-40 share basis. No risk involved. We're, we're very much moving away from Game of Thrones straight away with this email here. Yeah, um, I don't really understand what he's... I mean, has he been making money for us? Well, listen, um, his name is Mr. Patrick Olinma. Head of Foreign Payment Department with the Nigeria Liquefied Natural Gas Company, a, subs- a subsidiary of uh, Nigerian National Petroleum Corporation. Liquefied natural gas. Uh, yes. Right. Yeah. Do you, do, you not, do you remember when we went over there to have a have a chat about setting that up? Well, he's done it. I I, I specifically remember doing it under the the uh, under the the aegis of our little known. Shark Liver Oil Hydrocarbon Division <laughs> when we both decided to move away from talking shit about books and go over there and start in the liquefied natural gas business. Yeah. Well, he says, I will give you full details when I hear from you and let you know the role you will play in receiving the money. It doesn't say how much, actually. As the beneficiary, since I am prohibited from pirating foreign accounts. <laughs> I think that might be the He's... most honest part of the whole thing. <laughs> Aren't we all, Paddy? Aren't we all, mate? Um, I'm sure you're wondering, like I am, Dave, what what he needs from us. Can Can you guess? Well, I would imagine that you would need us. Probably, probably going to fly over there. Probably, you know, welcome us quite nicely, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll we'll conduct all of this business in front of, let's say, a lawyer or a judge somewhere. Definitely, very definitely, on the record and in person. Uh, no, no, no face to face contact required. It turns out. It turns oh, out all we nice. need, Dave, is to provide our bank account details. <laughs> 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 and I assume he'll wire us the monies directly. Um, he says he's waiting to hear from us. You assume? He doesn't even claim that he will. 
Poor form, Patrick. He says, Poor form, mate. He says, Follow through with the unrealistic promise. He says, he says, please reply to my private email. Now, we don't normally give out emails on this show because, <laughs> you know, we want to protect people's privacy. But for Patrick... Um, who is, come on, basically a charlatan. Um, if you'd like <laughs> if you'd like to email him, it's mrpatrickolinma at yahoo.com. <laughs> so um, he's waiting to hear from us soonest. I'll I'll reply with you again, Dave. I'll send him your bank details. Yeah, um, no, thanks, mate. I really, it's really it. generous of you, the way you're doing that. How's, um, how's, I, <laughs> how's that money for the orphanage working out, by the way, that we were, we were offered a few weeks ago? I am now in the process of building my ninth orphanage. <laughs> Excellent. And you mocked, you scoffed, <laughs> but here I am building orphanages, which, as we all know, are exactly what everybody in the developing world needs. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, that's the feedback um, for this week. If you would like to uh, avoid us uh, dipping in desperation into the uh, into the junk mail feedback, then uh, do get in touch at sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Um, Talk a- about mafia, Matt. That's, that's out of line, Matt. Uh, any- you don't want to hear any more of this nonsense. Send us real emails, please. Uh, any comments you'd like to make on the book or the series um, or any particular offers you'd like to make to us um, which involve us surrendering our bank account details for upwards of 10 million US dollars, then do let us know and uh, and we'll read them out on air. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all we've got for the non, non-spoiler part. All that's left is to enter the bunker full of spoilers. So uh, if you want to stick around for a couple of spoiler theories, wait till uh, after the music. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Cue music. That of course is the sound of the uh, of the door opening on the bunker full of spoilers. Quite a sticky door. The sound this of a week. witch dying at the end of a long narrow tunnel. That's what it sounded like to me. Incorrect. It was a door opening. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, welcome to the bunker full of spoilers. You can see the bits of light streaming through the holes in the roof where we've been shelled mercilessly by the TV show, but we do st- <laughs> do still have a few spoilers left on the shelf. Um, I've got a couple that I'd like to do today, if they're okay with you. Um, yeah, hit me. One is a box um, entitled The Rat King. Um, oh, yeah. And one is a box entitled Jojen Paste, which is a very quick one. All right. Um, okay. Which one would you like first? Well, let's do Jojen Paste. Let's do that. So, Jojen Paste. This, um, we re- rewind all the way back to, in the books, um, when we last left Bran, he is in the... Uh, with the sort of three-eyed raven, isn't he? Under the tree, um, under the big weirwood tree, in the safe safe space uh, where the White Walkers have, haven't have yet in the books appeared. I assume they, they will do eventually. Um, yeah. But you know that when John, when basically Bran starts his training, um, he starts tripping balls and he, and he eats this weird sort of red... <laughs> Yeah, but to get him doing that, he eats this sort of red paste, doesn't he? Which is from like acorns and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, the um, 
one of the characters who is no longer at this point was no longer with us in the series, uh, but was still alive in the books, is Jojen, Jojen and Mira. And uh, Jojen was looking really, really ill and sickly towards the end of that journey. And then he arrived and he was just sort of sitting around for a bit, still looking miserable and ill. And then we never see yeah. him again. Yeah. The theory is Jojen dies. He's either killed or dies of natural causes in this tree. And some of his blood is used as part of this paste, which Bran actually eats, which ties in with <sighs> sort of the weird ritual sacrifice shit that's been going on. Um, as sort of the undertone for a lot of the sort of north of the wall and sort of ancient Stark stuff. So it's this sort of little macabre theory that uh, to sort of gain the power that he gets, Bran has actually um, drunk some, kind of drunk some of the blood of Jojum. Yeah. You think there's anything in that? Um, Well, I I I feel like a primary school teacher. I want to sit down everybody who came up with that theory and just say... (laughs) Is everything all right? Are you feeling a bit disturbed? Do you need somebody to talk to? <laughs> yeah. It's bringing out my inner mother hen. Um, I actually think, given this story universe, it's plausible, but I don't really see how we square it with the difference between the TV series and the book. So even if it is a thing in one of the continuities, it can't be a thing in both of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think there's, it could very easily not be because the weirwood trees kick out red sap, don't they? Yeah. So I would expect anything made from something ground up from them to be red. Yeah, I like the theory. I think it's interesting. The thing that would make it difficult for me is how Mira fits into this, her reaction to it. Yeah. Does she know if she finds out there's no way she can be as on board with the Three-Eyed Raven stuff as she is in the series? Um, yeah. So I think well, that's one of those things. It's one of those interesting theories, I think, just to watch out for. Um mm. Mm-hmm. When we mm-hmm. get to the when we get to the next book, gets the winds of winter. Um, yeah. The second theory. This is this might be my favourite bunker full of spo- spoilers theory. Um, <laughs> it's called the Rat King, and I absolutely love this theory. So, um, and I think it's I'm pretty sure it's true as well from from what you read into the books. So um, it surrounds uh, Wyman Manderley and right. and the. Uh, the ancient story, the sort of which we heard up at the wall of the Rat King, which was this the, the story of the Rat King, if you don't remember, is um, this guy who, um, for some reason, had this had this beef with a, a king. Invite uh, it was up at the wall. Invited him into his house under guest rights, like the phrase, uh, killed um, killed uh, this the guy's son, like the king's son, the prince. He killed mm-hmm. him baked him in a pie and then fed him to the king and the king ate the pie saying it was delicious and then the, this this guy was cursed for the rest of his days um, yeah. the, the guy who did it uh, the chef and he became the rat king and he's this like rat that lives in the castle for the rest of for the rest of time now as punishment for what he did to the to the king and the prince now the idea is that there's an echo of this and that man we know Mandalay hates the Boltons and the phrase yeah yeah. Um, and basically spends his entire time at Winterfell um, just needling them. Um, he also yeah. he also turns up at Winterfell with loads of loads of his own food um, yeah. and drink, and um, also this massive pie, uh, which he feed, which he gives everybody. 
and it just so happens two frays have gone missing on the road and have disappeared. Do you know when they're talking about these frays who have died? And um, there's this scene in Winterfell where um, there's this big feast and Mandel is like really jolly. He's handing out these slices of pie to everybody. He's eating loads of it himself, saying how delicious it is. And the theory is that he's basically baked those frays into the pie and he's feeding it everybody. <laughs> You uh, know what? <laughs> the, well, the cherry on the cake for this is at the end, he's being dragged out of the hall all drunk and he's shouting to the musicians, play the one about the Rat King, play the one about the Rat King. <laughs> <laughs> it's too perfect not to. Yeah. And that's, that, that is an absolute lock, that. Wyman Manley's a nasty piece of work. Yeah. But I love that he was jolly with it. Because yeah. you're right, it was notable how jolly he was handing out this pie. Yeah. It's a very weird way. Yeah. Right? It's the greatest fuck you ever, that, isn't it? It's absolutely yeah, 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 amazing. Yeah, yeah. And the, the thing is with it as well, the reason the Rat King is cursed forever isn't because he feeds the prince to his dad. It's because yeah. he kills um, the prince after offering him guest right, like the phrase did. Yeah. And yeah. the whole point, the, another point of the Mandalay stuff is he brings all his own food and drink so he never takes the food and drink of the... Um, of yeah, the Boltons, yeah, of the phrase, so he's yeah. under no obligation not to kill them, basically. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which which ties yeah, in as well. That's a complete lock. That <laughs> like, if I don't know if they'll bother bringing that out in the TV. I mean, probably not now because we haven't had that scene. Yeah, but in the books, yeah, absolutely, that's what's going on there. It's a shame that Mandalay's not there at all. Actually, isn't it? Because he's one of my favorite yeah. characters, and he just doesn't yeah. show up in the books in the series. He's he's an interesting presence in the court, but I suppose you'd have to spend more time in the court than you want. I mean, they've done quite well at doing the whole Bolton court with almost no screen time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, it'd be more complicated, I suppose, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, there's a what it builds into a the wider theory of this of the Great Northern Conspiracy, which is basically um, <clears throat> the idea that this, in a, very differently to the series, the Northern Lords are still loyal to the Starks. All of them are pretty much, and they're just mm. waiting for their opportunity to put the Starks back on top. And the idea around this is, um, we you got to go all the way back to I think it's Clash of Kings. It might be the one after, it might be Storm of Swords, but. There's this moment when Rob's out campaigning, when he's still not got a mm. son or daughter, uh, mm. or no heir, that um, he gets together with... This is actually... We read this in the books, but we just haven't spoken about it for ages. He gets together with his lords and says, we need a contingency if I die. And he actually writes out a um, sort of will where he names John as his successor and legitimises oh, him. Oh, really? Yeah, and then he gives this to... Um, one of the Glovers and one of the Mormons, and they head off up the river to find um, Howland Reed. Remember, there's yeah. like this, this little detachment of forces yeah, that get sent yeah. off on their own before the Red Wedding. Uh, I do remember that. The idea is they have disappeared now. They've found Howland Reed. They've got this piece of paper that legitimises John, and there's it's one of the one of the sort of plans that the Northern Lords are trying to sort of hatch together while they're paying lip service to the Boltons, you've either got this option of legitimising John or, as Mandel is trying to do, you've got to find Rickon and stick him back on the in the seat yeah. as Lord. Yeah. But yeah. it's just this general idea, very, very um, sort of sub- highly, highly subscribed to from book readers. And part of the yeah. reason why people find it so hard to believe what happens in the series with the Umbers but yeah. this theory that the Northern Lords are still loyal to the Starks and are trying to find a way of putting them back on top. 
And I kind of like that. And I think that's probably, that might be one of the big examples where they're just, the book and the series go in two completely different directions. And we get to the same point where the Starks get back on top, but the way it happens is just very different in the two formats. What do you think about that? Um, Yeah, I actually like that thing more as well. Well, because it pertains to loyalty, which is, you know, a rare quality. Yeah. Um, And because it presents the Northern Lords in a much better light. Yeah, and I'm very biased towards them, but I think I think that's great. I also think actually that's if the books go in that direction, that would actually tie to the broader thing of George Martin's way of drawing on um, particularly British history uh, for this sort of thing. Because what that would be is if if R plus L equals J and this hmm. turn out to be true, then John is heir to both the Targaryens and the Starks, hmm. and so he's kind of, there's a unification of thrones there. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, that's in the same way as James the First of England was James the Sixth of Scotland first. Yeah. And then he became he was he was also heir to the English throne and the English monarch died and he inherited them both. And that's why there's one monarch for both England and Scotland. Hmm. Um so I, I think there's, there's there's mileage in that. Dig that. Yeah, definitely. I agree. So um and I suppose it, it's it's much more clearly Sort of, you you got a lot of groundwork being laid in the books as well there because you've got how the Mandalays cl- quite clearly still absolutely hate the Boltons and are still loyal to the Starks. Um, yeah. He even says yeah. as much to Davos. And you've got people like the Umbers effectively hedging the bets, saying, yeah. "Well, half of us are going to fight for you, half of us aren't." Um, yeah. So yeah, I think there's, I think, I think there's definitely something in that. So two theories there. One of them are, yeah, the. The sort of northern conspiracy stroke Rat King, I think, is pretty much a lock. <laughs> Jojen yeah. Pace, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Jojen Pace is, is, is more if you need a really gothic reason to carry on reading this series. Yeah. Think, and it doesn't really, matter to the, doesn't really matter to the story either way, but it's quite no, a nice little touch. Or a horrifying possibility. Well, no? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's, so that's us done. We've got one more. Oh, my goodness. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, Dave. We've got Flipping one heck. more episode to do next week. And then we're going to move on to another book. Um, any suggestions, actually? This is a special one for you lot who've stayed for the spoiler, bunker full of spoilers. Any um, suggestions for us, a book for us to read, do um, do send them in, Podcast at gmail.com. Um, we're thinking, we've got a few in mind, haven't we, Dave? But we haven't come to a final decision yet, so... No, not at all. Um, let us know if you've got any suggestions of your own, and we certainly shall consider them. Yeah. But until next time. Until next time, man.